Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, my special guest is famed multidisciplinary artist, Chris Courtney Martin. Their achievements cover a wide range of areas. They have just published, well, actually, a little while ago, they published a poetry prose chapbook, The Book of IP, Idle Poems. This book of poetry prose is available on Amazon via uh, Alien Buddha Press. Their second book, Slam Poems for, for My Bathroom Mirror and Other Selected Works, is available in the next few days. Please help me welcome Chris Courtney Martin to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for that. I I don't know about fame, but I, I receive it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's always important to me to... <laughs> to make my guests feel good, you know? <laughs> and I, that, made me, that made me feel so so good. Thank you so much for that introduction. Oh, it is wonderful to be here. <laughs> you're more than welcome. Let's begin this poetic journey. Chris Courtney, what yeah. is poetry? What is poetry? Poetry is the use of language, as a shorthand, I say shorthand, it can also be a longhand, but typically a shorthand to cut to the heart of a matter. It's almost like, I think, the most sort of telepathic way um, and empathic way to use language. Um, just counting that interpretation will do its job more than sort of necessarily over um over qualifying what it is that you're saying i know it's kind of general okay tell me more i want you to flesh it out for me tell me more about poetry from the heart i like that tell me more yes so i have been um sort of called back to poetry I, it's something that I loved writing as a kid, just as a, a form of expression. And, you know, as I sort of hunkered down and started to pursue other things, because I've been, I've been working in the, the film industry um, for some time, and that's what I studied in school. Mm-hmm. There's something about poetry that I think is, indicative of your inner monologue and and it it is truer to your inner monologue it's something that i think goes through fewer sort of translation processes um than if you're writing prose or anything else at least that is 
my approach to it. It's a very um, sort of autonomous process. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's something that I found my way back to after spending so much time pursuing screenwriting where you mm-hmm. have to communicate your intent crystal clear for the greatest number of people who could be reading it. Um, yes. Where I've actually found my sort of voice in poetry and I found yes. the effectiveness in poetry is if I am communicating exactly what I feel on the page and it makes sense to me and it's true to what I'm trying to express, then mm-hmm. if other people have to interpret it, then it's, they still seem to appreciate it more than if I try to okay. spell something out for them. So it's very right, validating um, in, in that way for me. All right. Based on what you know about the world, your lived experience, in general, is poetry important in this day and time? Absolutely. Um, Talk poetry, to me. poetry is absolutely important in this this day and time and you know we just briefly talked a little bit about some of the things that are going on in the world some of the heartbreaking things oppression and genocide and things like that happening in the world today Mm -hmm. and um you know poetry i think is one of the most humanizing forms of literature out there I mean, not to take anything away from prose, not to take anything away from essays or anything like that, but when you are really sharing intimately the most raw sort of interpretation of what you feel, um, I think that's a, a level of vulnerability Um, Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily trying to convince anybody of anything. You're not necessarily trying to win an argument. All you are doing is staying true to your interpretation of something. And you are relying on the vulnerability of just someone doing their best to meet you at your point of view. And so, wow. yeah, I, I, I think that it's one of the, definitely one of the most powerful and one of the most honest mm-hmm. um, sort of literary tools that we have. Oh, very nice. Nicely stated. I would like to hear about an early experience when you realized that poetic language had power. An early experience. I well I'm a I'm a, a a huge just you know English nerd like I've mm-hmm. had to sort of deconstruct I think some of the more dogmatic parts of that but um <laughs> words have had a, a profound effect on me since I was a, a a young kid and I remember um one of the very first poetry units that we'd done um, when I was in middle school. I went to a, a school called Masterman in Philly, which has a, a little bit of, you know, like a, a, a reputation. 
And um, we studied Emily Dickinson. And I was always a sensitive kid and a very lonely kid, um, exactly the kind of kid you expect to to gravitate to poetry and, you know, lose themselves in words. But I remember that, that poem, I am nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? And mm-hmm. that resonated with me more deeply yes. than I think anyone would expect from a goodness, 12-year-old, however old I was at the time. <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. Um, that really spoke to me. So I started writing my own poetry really around then. Um, mm-hmm. I might have tried my hand at it before, but that was when I really intently just started just filling up my notebooks with my expression because to me, I didn't know what I thought poetry was before then, but I didn't think it yes. was that. Okay. All right. So what do you write about? What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Um, I write about everything that um, everything that sort of burns within me, and that's why you know my my first chapbook, the Book of IP, was kind of focused. Um, it, it had a, a certain theme to it around sort of my Hollywood life and my experiences there. But this upcoming collection is kind of like a grab bag of me making sense of life experiences that I've had. And um, it's almost like a diary in a way, sort of like a throwback okay, to what okay. I did write poetry in my, in, in my diary, but themes about um, capitalism, honestly, I think that's one of the most consistent themes. I know where, we're mm-hmm. we're uh, coming from from DC. I hope I don't. You know, <laughs> we don't we don't we, we, we don't get too divided no, here. We won't, no, we won't be fighting. No, we won't be fighting. <laughs> but, um, no, no, no. Just just right. really really boiling down just what seems to be some of the biggest struggles, some of the biggest questions I've had about demons I've had to fight in my life and capitalism really was at the root of so much of that. Uh, So, and I I apologize for my ums and, and, and us. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You're fine. You sound great. You sound great. You sound wonderful. Well, you talked about capitalism. I'm wondering with that in mind, how does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? The poem for me begins with a feeling, mm-hmm. and it begins with really the inner monologue. Um, sometimes that can be sparked by an image, whether it's something that I see in real time, whether it's something that I'm flashing back to, or whether it's something that I envision it, but that I envision, but I don't really begin a poem until my inner monologue, until my inner processing about that image or that feeling really um, pops up 
So I see I, the, the way that I have always processed experience is mm-hmm. feeling and thinking at the same time. I don't know. It, it's everybody's everybody's different, but when I feel something, mm-hmm. I immediately try and contextualize it. Um, in terms of why am I feeling this way? Is this what I should be feeling? And um, so I've never been a person who just sort of acts off of emotion. If I feel something, I kind of just sit with it and understand what I'm feeling. And Mm -hmm. that process, that understanding of that feeling to me is poetry once it hits the page or once okay. it is spoken out loud with intent, that is where that comes from. And that's, I know that's a, it's, it's a, a very sort of unwieldy. <laughs> okay. Process, um, with little regard for form or, or anything like that, but that's just how I've been, been doing it. So you need to compute it first before you act on it. Is that what you're saying? In a way, yes. It must In compute. It must compute. Okay. 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 You know, Chris Courtney, all great writers have great writing influences. Now, you mentioned Emily Dickinson. Who are some of your other writing influences, and what makes them great in your eyes? I really look to music um, as is, 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 is Sort of, um, I hope that's not too disappointing for poets no. out there. And no, there are some no. poets that I that I absolutely love. You know, I have been um, like a huge Edgar Allan Poe fan and sort of learned sort of the controversies about his his marriage to his younger cousin and that <laughs> that dampens mm-hmm. that. But, um, you know, the influence is already embedded itself in you and you, 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 you can't un, un, unconnect to those verses necessarily. But in terms of musical lyricism, um, you know, I came from a really music-loving background. So anybody from Stevie Wonder whose lyrics are just, Poetry, poetry and sonic motion to, um, you know, Gil Scott Heron, who is a little bit more known as, as a, a poet who does verse to music uh, as a, opposed to someone who's just a musician or just an artist. Okay. Um, so all over the board, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Maya Angelou, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, and... Um, even the poetry that I found within prose, uh, mm-hmm. such as Toni Morrison, huge, huge influences. You know, I'm old. <laughs> so when you said sonic motion, what exactly is that? That's a newfangled term that I've never heard. <laughs> That's simply how, that's 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 simply how I I think of of um of Stevie Wonder poetry and sonic motion. I mean, if oh, wow. you if you l- read the lyric sheet to a song like As, 
as around the world, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, um, why am I blanking on the lyrics when I'm, <laughs> I'm a, that's um, okay. I was around the sun, the earth yeah, I know the song. was revolving, right? It's the rosebud nose mm-hmm. bloom in early May. That is, that's, mm-hmm. that's a poem on its own. Um, notwithstanding the beautiful music that he's composed around it. Um, yes. You know, songs like Love's in Need of Love Today. So I really respect <laughs> his lyricism as standalone poetry. All right. You know, you wouldn't know this. Are you still there? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> you wouldn't know this. But as I prepared for tonight, right before this show, I was listening. Love's in need of love today. Wow. I need to hear that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Talk about synchronicity. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I played and it back to back to back to back to back. I needed some uplift. <laughs> that the world needs love today. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of hate going on. <laughs> All right. Oh, my. Chris Courtney, please. <laughs> please share a poem. All right. This one is called Capital Punishment, and it was previously published in Lothlorien Poetry Journal, Volume 14. It's from my. It's it's also published in my upcoming collection, Slam Poems from My Bathroom Mirror. Call me broke, because something essential has shattered. All things human in tatters. Suckled on the gray of the matter. Pluck up the fat of the land. Leave the bones bare. Sell it back to me for 400 in a cardboard box marked grave. Vagrant cravings leave me hateful hungry for the fruit hanging over the fence line. If it serves lemon, even better. For the bitter acid multiplies its sour sweet vitriol when laced through with the bile in the pit of my echoing bowels. May the spray blind you when I cough up a lung macerated by the venomous atmosphere of your shame. Call me broken on the wheel of your fortune. Thank you. Wow. I need a second to process what you shared. What is the purpose of that piece, Chris Courtney? That particular poem is an expression of the violence that people, and and it's a a very subtle and removed and impersonal sort of violence that people undergo when they're denied basic things like a standard of living, like sustainable housing, things like that. And as someone who has faced homelessness and mm-hmm. things like that and and um, face callousness in sort of systems that are meant to actually aid people in need, that was an interpretation of me sort of really characterizing what I felt was 
the first blow of really an attempt on my life as somebody who was born in poverty and has done everything mm-hmm. right, quote unquote, right, <laughs> per okay, okay. You know, respectability in order to try and transcend that. Um, but me realizing that um, in a way, it's that, that violence is intentional. Um, and it's a realization mm. that I've made intellectually um, as somebody yes. who is, you know, in, in, involved in these, these, these leftist spaces and, and all of that. But really allowing myself to feel it, that is what that poem is. Wow. You know, there's a statement, and I'm sure you've heard it, if you can't feel it, you can't heal it. What do you think yeah. about that? I think that is very true. Mm-hmm. So here's a question. Does, based on what you know about the world, your lived experience, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? It heals me um, to write poetry. It wow. has actually been okay. one of the most healing forces in my mm-hmm. creative life, for sure. And I've also, you know, I found my way back to music and, and, and prose, too, after focusing on the, the screenwriting and producing side of things. But it was a, a really, really intense purge sort of these past couple of years that I've spent with poetry. And it's something, it's a process that I didn't really understand as a healing force when I had first dabbled in it as a teen and a preteen, I didn't really understand it as more than just sort of venting, like in a diary. But it really took me living an adult life to really appreciate that this is, it's not just venting. And venting can be healing, but it's more than that. It's sort of an alchemy that takes that pain and turns it into something other than pain. Let's flesh that out. Now, are you willing to be hurt by the poetry of others? If not, why not? Absolutely. Now, when you when you when you when you say that, um, I take it you yes. mean am I am I willing to? And correct me if I'm wrong. Am I willing to internalize okay. the the pain and process it on an empathetic level. Um, yes, correct. From another poet, that's yes. that's really the, the the human condition of it all. That's what it's what it's mm. what it's for. Um, and granted, there are I believe poetic and artistic <laughs> traditions that are mm-hmm. meant to cause pain in, with 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 rhetoric. Um, the same way propaganda is, and and to say, am I am I am I willing to be be hurt by those sorts of things? Um, the the answer is, and maybe I'm just going off course here. The answer to that is, I already have been hurt by them, even if I haven't read the words yet, because that is sort okay. of. Do you understand? But um, I'm absolutely willing to engage with the 
unadulterated emotion of another person through their their work. I think that's that's really what it's about. So is writing a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? I think it's one of the most um, naked things that a person can do to write that poem and share it with the world. Um, To just put your feelings out there in a way where you aren't explaining, you aren't qualifying necessarily. And I do know there are prose poems, but poetry in its most common form really is just an autonomous expression. Um, Even when we're workshopping, even when we're workshopping mm-hmm. um, poetry and community with other people, I think have, just having workshopped and given notes in different spaces and received notes in different spaces, um, it's much less about trying to navigate other people's tastes and mm-hmm. trying to sort of over-democratize the work as it is about making sure that your work is saying what you want it to say. Mm. Please share a poem. Absolutely. Okay. So this poem is called Infamilfamous or Similac. Leave it up to America to get your baby's beach bod right for the summer. Was that out of line? More so than the better famished than fat school meal plan served up by our establishment. Circa change o'clock. Leave it up to America to let a foundational public good go so catastrophically bad. Infants simply aren't a lucrative demographic, according to the Washington Post. So while skinny teas and appetite lollipops and protein shakes for mad games and meal replacement bars for hunger pangs and reduced calorie this and that and et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 remain a plentiful. Babies heed the panacea. Merca prescribed to heal all its ills. They starve. Thank you. I think I'd like you to share that one again. If you don't mind. <laughs> Happily. <laughs> so for context, this is about the um, formula shortage that we we had some time ago. Uh, the yes. baby formula shortage, and it's called Infamilfamous or Similac. Leave it up to America to get your baby's beach bod right for the summer. Was that out of line? More so than the better famished than fat school meal plan served up by our establishment circa change o'clock? Leave it up to America to let a foundational public good go so catastrophically bad. Incense simply aren't a lucrative demographic, 
according to the Washington Post. So, while skinny teas and appetite lollipops and protein shakes for mad games and meal replacement bars for hunger pangs and reduced calorie this and that and et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 remain a plentiful baby's heed, the panacea Merca prescribed to heal all its ills. They starve. Wow. They starve. Mm. When you write, who drives or who leads, you or the poem? I think it's me. I think that Talk to me. It, now there are instances because I do use rhyme, not in any of the, the, the poems that I've shared so far, even though there's a little bit of rhyme in the, the first one, not much. Um, mm-hmm. I really take the driver's seat in a way where I just say whatever the hell it is I'm feeling. And that's the aim. That is the aim. I say what I am feeling. Even in, I have poems that that are written from another uh, person's perspective, and I'm still saying what it is that I feel. Um, In terms of form, even that, you know, just somebody who is rhyme and meter oriented as somebody who is just as in love with music as I am poetry Mm -hmm. I'm still driving when I work within a strict form it's just sort of a a, a, an interpretation of how that's coming to me it's not necessarily like okay I'm now I'm going to write a poem I'm going to put this poem in a form that has this rhyme scheme scheme, or I'm going to model a poem after this or whatever. It's how I hear it as I'm processing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, as somebody who I've, I've, I've been known to, to rap, sometimes that just happens organically. So I, I really would say, I know it's a long-winded answer. It's me. It's, okay. it's me at my most me. <laughs> all right, all right, very nice. Your new book that's going to be released any day now, all right, a couple of days from now, Slam Poems for My Bathroom Mirror and Other Selected Works, which is a full collection. Tell me about the title first. Okay, so Slam Poems for My Bathroom Mirror, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I'm not a slam poet. I'm somebody who my idea of writing is doing the introvert thing and the most sharing I will do in most cases is posting it. You know, reading Mm -hmm. out loud is a, is a rarity for me. Um, But this is, it's also an expression of this book as something of a really personal collection because even though there's a lot of political influence and a lot of subject matter that speaks to worldwide problems as I am interpreting them as an individual 
it's mm-hmm. still deeply personal. So it's 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 about me reflecting. And um, mm-hmm. you know, the the other selected works that sort of mm-hmm. alludes to a group of poems toward the end that had a slightly different process, um, more of a, ch- a channeling process where I'm okay. pulling in energies that are not necessarily my own. Cause I, I don't know if, if we've touched on this in, in this interview at all, but I'm a spiritual medium and that's something as part of my identity that I've come into within the past few years, four years, maybe that mm-hmm. made my whole life make sense. Um, occurrences mm-hmm. that just could not be explained under any other context. So mm-hmm. this really is a little bit of a, of a grab bag of my very personal mm-hmm. feelings and experiences with a lot of different things. But these things are really a tapestry of who I am now as an adult in my early 30s. What made you decide to share them? You made this statement, and I'm potentially paraphrasing, an introvert, and the title for my bathroom mirror, <laughs> that in itself is like, hey, I'm not sharing these with anybody. It's like singing in the, uh, in the, in the shower. I can do this, but I can't take it out in the street. So what made you decide to share them, Chris Courtney? It was a spiritual push. I there's no okay. no other way um, to describe it. Putting poetry out there was something I never saw myself doing. If I ever came back to okay. it, it was not something that I was ever going to pursue seriously. But I had a lot of sort of synchronistic shifts. You know, in the funny mm-hmm. the story of how this this poetry wing of my life as an adult even came about is incredibly just serendipitous. I was um, talking to a friend of mine who's in the film industry, a a director, um, about just just some of the awful things that I've been going through and just sort of trying to get my head together about that. And this friend with with all of the love in the world, she suggested, um, you know, I don't know if this is stuff that you should be talking about on social media because people just, they don't want to know in this industry that the empathy, you save the empathy for the screen. Right. And um, she said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I'm paraphrasing. She said yes. it with all the love and sort of protection and wanting me to be able to have a viable career. Um, and she wasn't mm-hmm. wrong. So she said something like, you know, something that I do to vent is I'll write poetry and I'll put it on Tumblr or whatever. And I said, you know, I, the poetry thing is not really for me. I haven't done it since I was a kid. <laughs> and then lo and behold, <laughs> I end up leaving California at the end of that year and coming to, to, to stay in Fayetteville with my dad, which is where I am now. And yes. The poetry just came out. The 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 feeling mm-hmm. that I it started with the book of IP, which came together way more quickly than sort of any completed project I've ever, you know, completed, and, um, and uh, it was really just an expression of how I was feeling about the entertainment industry and also the value that I knew that 
my work had to me that I couldn't understand why that, that value was diluted by all of these just whims and biases, as I call them, within the industry. And so mm -hmm. that came together, and it had a reception and it, that I did not expect at all. I didn't think that anyone would ever want to publish it. And mm -hmm. so then I said, well, I wonder if, you know, with that being such an obscure sort of a very specific <laughs> viewpoint, like poems, poems about ideas that should be screenplays, but, you know, the industry has this weird sort of taste. With, with that being appreciated the way it was, one of the poems were, were was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. I kind of just yes, wow, very nice. Just, just kept going on and and saying, well, I wonder mm -hmm. if there's anything else that I feel like is niche and super specific that nobody else cares about that you know might mm -hmm. resonate. Anything else that I want to get off my chest that I think might find wow. some some sympathetic readers and so i just kept going <laughs> <laughs> all right he did a fantastic job we're going to take a quick break but i would like to ask you please tell me more about the cover of your book it's quite striking actually both your books they're beautiful covers tell me about the second one your full collection thank you so i i i'm kind of a one-stop shop as an indie uh an independent creator. I did the the covers mm -hmm. for both of my books. The first one it was a photograph oh, that, wow. I took nice. that I I ran mm -hmm. through some photo editing software, um, like a a, a program kind of like like Photoshop. Those are my crystals, and they're sitting on top of my striped towel. But for slam poems, I actually took that's a photo of me, a selfie in high school. Wow. And mm -hmm. I um designed this one and I think it was it was Pixlr. It was it was Pixlr that I designed this. I just sort of you know, I didn't know what I was gonna do um for this 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 poem and there was, you know, a, at a time where people were starting to use, you know, generate like AI covers and things and I was like, I'm gonna gonna just put my hands in this and just see what I can come up with just with, with little sort of graphic design hobbyist <laughs> skill I have. <laughs> and so I just, I, I took that old picture. I, I stuck with my favorite color palette, which is purple, um, mm -hmm. purple and black. And I, you know, threw some stars around this, this little frame and, um, it looked very much like something that I would have loved in high school, and it, it's something that I, I still love now. So, it, in fact, it kind right. of reminds me of uh, my favorite pair of shoes from high school. It's purple and All black. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> We're going to take a brief break, but I've got a question I'd like you to answer when we return. All right, here's the question. There's a lot of controversy around the word accessibility in terms of poetry. Mm -hmm. Here's the question. Should, should one employ a lot of mental energy to solve a poem? Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. I think we'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was the world's quickest break. We are back. <laughs> <laughs> we don't break long, Chris Courtney. We don't break long. <laughs> so as you think about my question, how much mental energy should be expended when you are reading a poem, attempting to, or do you need to solve a poem? Well, this might come just because I'm a little biased in that puzzles and riddles yes. and, and, and all of that. That is kind of like one of my my jams. That has been one of my, my favorite um, sort of literary forms, riddles and, and, and word puzzles and things like that since I was a kid. Mm. However, wow. I do think um, that one should only have to expend as much mental energy as is going mm-hmm. to be rewarding for them. Um, there mm-hmm. are, you know, not every poem is for every person. And yes. I do think, you know, every poem deserves the same amount of energy in the approach. But I think if there is a poem that is about something that is not necessarily going to be so illuminating for you, then you might get the sense of that. And it's okay to, to, it's okay to walk away and say, you know, I just think that this is just a different sort of vibration for me. That doesn't mean like neglect anything that isn't all about you. Cause if we do that, how else do we understand other people? But it, 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 it does sort of, I think, prevent us from doing that thing where we put projections on work that the mm-hmm. the the writer might, the original writer might actually find silly. Like I call this the um, the participation grade effect, where you know the the red curtains in the room have to 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 symbolize. Uh, generations of, of trauma when it's just that was an actual room that had red curtains. Okay. <laughs> that in, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. <laughs> Please share two poems. Okay. So this next poem is called Rover. Little Ryan passed away, highest time to bash the gay. All the things he dare not say, how'd she find out who up and told her? Better when I scream and, de- and shout, no better way to work it out. And if you hold a seed of doubt, that's planted for the ground gets colder. They say that everything, it happens for a truly good reason more of an open season. And when the model breaks the mold, the wisdom wasted on the old, silver tongue patinaed gold, life's just begun, alas, it's over. Never thought we'd have the nerve, strength of vision nor the verve, needed to hold it on reserve in case we don't get through October. You say that everything that happened it only made you better. Ruby slippers pair with scarlet letter. At the waist, 
I lean to bow in gratitude to see the now. How far a stretch we do avow since Joan once sang Crimson and Clover. And when the moon has set on us, we say a prayer for the dust. The way it fades echoes the trust of those who live to bend us over. You know, I know it had to happen without a rhyme or a reason. A boarded door to slip limp keys in. Love a wheel that likes to squeak like a girl who loves the heat. On every word you choose to speak, just dangling from the cliffs of Dover. When I begin to need a hand, slide me a little contraband, hoping for a heart to brand. Come over. Come over, Rover. Thank you. All right. How did you structure the poems in, in, in your second book? Chapters, sections, how are they structured? So the first section, of, and thank you, thank you for asking that because that, that might get a little confusing. The first mm-hmm. section is simply the slam poems, which I wrote just getting – things off my chest. I know that's a very vague phrase, <laughs> but okay. writing about things that I have sort of not been able to grapple with on an emotional level, processing things like that last poem mm-hmm. that I just read, coming to terms with queer identity, having been raised um, in a very sort of not amenable um, <laughs> Um, structure mm-hmm. for that, you know, by a parent whom I'm, I'm not in, in, in touch with anymore. And okay. um, just sort of having, having a thought and intentionally for a period of time, having a thought and a feeling and not just letting them pass, just allowing myself to process them on paper. So I just had pages and pages of Google Docs files of me just processing things as they came to me. And that Mm -hmm. first section, I just structured um, those in alphabetical order. In the next section of poems, there are um, works that came to me through just feeling other energies around me um, and spirit, you know, the sort of, they say woo-woo spirituality, they call it the higher self where you're, you know, you're interacting with another person's consciousness. You feel their energy. Sometimes you might physically feel yourself moving like them or um, what have you. And so I decided not to name the energies that I knew were coming to me just for just to keep things simple and reduce speculation, but I knew who they were and maybe one day that they'll know who they are. Um, however, I, I know you said two poems. I would like to read a poem from that section where I I channel in conversation with the energies of redacted higher selves. So, All right, very nice. 
this one comes from the alpha section, which is a, a one energy, and then the beta section is a, another energy. Okay. This one is called the unwanted. Our friend told me, if I could pray for you all these years, then I'm well within my right to write these words with confidence. What's behind your eyes may be lost upon others, trapped in the shallow waters of their coloring, but I found something familiar there. We were children together, apart, faced by worlds and continents, yet brushed against one like boar's hair kissing dampened canvas. Forgive my turn of phrase. As I know it doesn't serve to serve you. Pretense on a platter smiths on any metal. And there's an emptiness in my cup. When I know, which I know is no stranger to you. When you recite Chaucer for her friend or whatever it takes to keep you at the grown-up table. Our friend says, you may take exception to that. I say that you are too exceptional to deny it. Thank you. Wow. Chris Gordon, what do you think makes your poetic voice different? And I guess you could say, well, all voices are different. But <laughs> as you think about your work, <laughs> what makes your voice different? Well, I mean, that is sort of my first instinctive answer, and I know it's the easy one. We're all snowflakes, yeah. and it's true. It's true. <laughs> everyone's right. voice all has, everybody. has <laughs> yeah, has a just like everyone's spoken voice ha- is so distinct yes. that it could be um, completely, uh, you know, distinguished from an, another person's if you you measure the the, the sound waves and all of that. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's true of your spiritual artistic voice. Something that I enjoy um, yes. when I sort of read my poetry back is I think I write with a level of irreverence that I don't necessarily express in any other facet of my life. I just okay, all right. I, I, I just kind of say what I feel in poetry mm. and I'm not afraid to be flippant. I'm not afraid to make jokes. And I think that something that makes poetry a little um, inaccessible to some people is that yes. it can come off as mm-hmm. self-serious um, in mm. ways that other art forms don't. And of course, that's a very limited mm-hmm. scope of poetry because we know there are humorous poets, but the stuff that we're typically accessing, um, the stuff that is usually part of the canon usually is very sort of self-serious kind of stuff. And, um, the way that I express myself in my poetry it's kind of like talking to my best friend. Um, mm. 
but in a code that only maybe only will understand but you get my voice mm-hmm. you get my intention and just being able to trust you get you'll get my voice you'll get my intention if we're on the same wavelength um that's just my personal take and I don't um I haven't workshopped anything this whole time with mm-hmm. with anyone else so. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right. So, what compelled you to share the last piece? You said you wanted I, to share it. What compelled I, you to do that? I just wanted to share from that section because I definitely felt a difference in energy when I wrote it, um, mm-hmm. and I I'm just curious as to whether readers or anybody else would be able to sort of pick up on the difference in my voice in the first mm-hmm. section versus this voice that's in conversation with another energy um, in the alpha section and the beta section toward the end. Beth, with that in mind, I'd like you to read another poem from that section. Please. Okay. Okay. So I am actually, if you don't mind, going to go into the beta section, no. which is it's, all it's right, the, all right. the same um, same concept, different energy that I'm interacting with. And this one is called Ivory Tower. It's actually one of my favorites. Hmm. Throw down a rope at lock of hair. Descend an ivory tower. Beset an oceanic stair. To rare celestial flower. A treasure lines, soft ruby walls, ambrosia flows and cascade falls. Sound lost on plush upholstered halls as bells sing midnight hours outside the ivory tower. A calling call flees Raven Maw in twilight's trembling power. The second vine like creeping crawl. Beneath moonlight's silver shower A man has never felt so tall On knees now aching carpet raw Half-staggered breath threatens to stall And dark delights devour Abreast the ivory tower Fill cup full up the merrily sup With fruit more sweet than sour Lest we forget still stands erect That robust ivory tower Thank you. Wow. You know, when I listen to you, the last two poems, for some reason I just see you sitting on top of a cloud. <laughs> that every, I'm serious. <laughs> That's what I see. That everything is right with the world. With the first set, some rain was falling. Mm-hmm. There was a storm. And not that you were unable to make it through the storm. You did, but there was a storm. But on this side, there is no storm, that there's clarity. I don't know. That's just my take. That's just just my take. (laughs) And I really thank you for sharing. I really thank you for sharing that because that resonates. It resonates, but it's not something that I thought about until now. And I Mm. think maybe that's confirmation that when I am sort of open to this channeling process that I have and 
allowing myself to spiritually be in conversation um, on another sort of sort of plane that's not the 3D plane that maybe I am mm-hmm. sort of living my fullest truth. And if that can be heard just in the, the, mm-hmm. the recitation of, of different poems, then that's got to yes. be like a, a huge mm-hmm. sign from, from the divine. So yes. thank you for that. Yes, <laughs> so how would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or creative art? Um, I look at it as a gift from my end. Um, I know mm-hmm. that the difference, the, and 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 don't get me wrong, gifts need to yes. be honed and they need to be practiced and they need to be mm-hmm. thought about in order to be their most effective. Um, however, however, when I think of a gift versus an art. A gift is a lot more mm-hmm. autonomous. And, okay. you know, in art form, it's like a lot of the time you have to really intensely do not just independent study, but group study in a certain way. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I even have a poem about this. I don't, I, I, before I started writing poetry, it wasn't yes. like I was reading poetry every single day. And I know this is going to, mm-hmm. to ruffle a lot of feathers. My, um, <laughs> my, my, I, I, and I, I hope this isn't making like an outsider or an interloper or an imposter, but my sort of poetic literacy is not as deep and intentional as some people who are in some of these same spaces. So I do think that that's also kind of indicative of, of my, not my reluctance, but um, my lack of experience in sharing my work um, in, in public spaces, because I would feel like maybe I'm the new kid on the block, and mm-hmm. people come up to me afterward and want to talk about their top ten. I might maybe know two. <laughs> yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. So you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> so if my saying that helps normalize it, <laughs> you're not alone yes, at all. I appreciate that. That makes me, that makes me feel a lot better. No, no, no. And think about it. I've had over 400 poets on this show. <laughs> and people calling all the time trying to get out here. <laughs> I don't talk about the mechanics, the uh, the technical kinds of things, because I wasn't trained in that area. I, I just, But I talk about what I know, what I feel. And I feel that's important, too. And that's what you do. You write about what you know, what you feel, and that's important. Yeah. In my absolutely. mind. So, Chris Courtney, we live in a world where there's good, bad, ugly, as well as indifferent. What do you view as being the role of a poet then in modern day society? I think the poets 
responsibility, the poet's role, first of all, is to explore themselves in relation to the world. And Mm -hmm. I think there is sometimes there's a, a, there is a mad dash, if you will, to use poetry to express something that is the moment. Um, mm-hmm. To sort of like sometimes there's a there's a mad dash to comment on via social media on things and I understand that I under, I understand that that we're talking about things we're raising awareness of things because it's important and if you don't call it out it's complicit. However, I think that sometimes that tendency can um, overtake us understanding who we are in that role um, and, that, and, yes. and, and what we say about it will sometimes be informed by something we don't fully understand yet. So I do think that the poet's responsibility is to know thyself first. Okay, and okay then use that as a way to relate with the outside world. And that doesn't mean navel gaze. That doesn't mean navel gaze. That just means really Mm -hmm. understand your emotional language and intellectual language um, before you can use it as powerfully to to uh, to affect change, I believe, um, as as possible. You know, as I listen to you, I can see you teaching classes on poetry, on the oh, use of wow. poetry. Yes, I'm serious, <laughs> and I'm too old to say things I don't mean. So <laughs> I really can because you have a way of of expressing your thoughts. That is, like I say, clarity. That's accessible. So one of the things I would always share with my students before I retired is that never forget what you bring to the table because it can always serve you when you least expect it. So the gift that you bring, (laughs) other people don't bring. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know what made me want to tell you that. But I think just continue to blossom and grow and share your talent with the world because you've got something to say. Wow. That means so much to me. And I know that absolutely that is something that I needed to hear. I've always dreamed Mm. of being an educator. And I, 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 I didn't take sort of the normal route of, you know, getting a pedagogical degree it just because mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't right. For, it wasn't right for me. But whatever mm-hmm. I go out in the world to learn, I've always dreamed of being able to bring that back. And um, it's, I'm, I'm getting a little bit emotional here. Um, cause that's, that's, all right. that's all right. That's all right. That's, that's all right. We're together. I, We're together. I'm not going anywhere. Something I tried to do. Um, Mm -hmm. as a screenwriter, um, you know, just, and I know I'm not super duper, I, I, I'm not super duper well known or anything like that, but I, I Mm -hmm. I feel like I've, I've functioned enough, um, definitely as, as much as, as some people who have been able to find, 
um, teaching roles and, and stuff like that. And when I sort of, you know, uh, tried to go back to my, my alma mater for some opportunities, the mm-hmm. the consensus was I didn't have enough experience or with my level of experience, I'd also need a, right. a, a higher right. degree, which I understand. But um, I, I also say that there is such a validation that I found in the poetry community, mm-hmm. um, including mm-hmm. just, just the, how wonderful you've been and that, that wonderful, um, you know, gift you just, you offered me and encouraging me that way because, you know, I've actually been in talks with a professor to introduce some of my work into the classroom at the university level. Oh. We're actually going oh. You're talking right. a little bit about that this winter <laughs> and preparing for that. So just knowing that I have been doing this for just a fraction of the time that I've been screenwriting and I'm finding appreciation that I've been, you know, sort of hoping for elsewhere. It just really mm-hmm. puts this community in a special place in my heart. And I'll never well, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're not missing anything to me. <laughs> you sound great. <laughs> I mean, hey, like I said again, I take your class. <laughs> wow. Because I know that you'd have something to share that I could use. And if and if I couldn't use it, I mean, I put it in a in a in a folder and whatever, and I save it for another day if it wasn't resonating at that particular time, you know. Because I always believe there's always something new we can pick up. You may not need it then, but that doesn't mean you won't have it, you know. And that is so important. You know, Chris Courtney, we've reached a, a point in the program that's my personal favorite. I view it as being a mini M I N I poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you to share three or four of your works back-to-back, no interruptions from me. Okay? Okay. You're on the stage. All right. This one is called Enough. It was previously published in Arato Magazine. Nothing I do is right enough. No hope I hold is bright enough. No laugh I loose is light enough. No one I love is here enough. No song I sing is clear enough. No truth I keep is dear enough. No way I make is door enough. Nothing I know is sure enough. No ground I tread is floor enough. No wish I have is dream enough. No shouts I roar or scream enough. No crop I reap yields cream enough. No acreage is wood enough. No covering is hood enough. Nothing I am is good enough. Okay. This next one is called Redfish, Bluefish. Today, I bit into a cucumber, which prickled my tongue with the offensive, ear-waxy taste of poison. And at that exact moment, my vice president was on the news on a reel about the abortion laws, which followed the reel about farmers 
suffering in this economy. The vice president said that the vast majority of people in this country wish for abortion to be a federally protected right. I nodded my agreement. Yet, at that exact moment, my stomach filled with dread, and I wondered with respect to my position just a handful of miles off the military base, whether that cucumber was indeed poisoned, whether that poison was indeed intended for me. Because I could look her in the face through a screen and know without pause in my nauseous gut that she was full of it. And it wasn't what she said because that was factually, commonsensically true. The proposed bans had us of sound heart and mind rightfully teeming on the edge of our own insurrection, one that would be far more intelligent and far more successful than the one which targeted Alex Ocasio-Cortez. It was the unmoving void in Madam Vice President's eyes. It taunted me that I had been right to suspect that, with minimal exceptions, neither of these primary colored cancers we call representative parties could care any less about the ants which scream and scatter in hopes of escaping their spyglass-magnified ultraviolet beams at the base of Mount Olympus. That gut of mine threatened to spew its contents until liquid and green, but continued to speak thusly. They knew their colleagues would do this, and they let them. These noble crusaders in dignified blue are resigned to the federal defi- these noble crusaders in dignified blue are resigned to the federal fire department. Every four years and every two, we must call upon them begging and pleading that they extinguish the choking blaze with a spray of mercy pumped from trucks which trail their own corrosive combustible fuel. They too bleed gold and they have seen dissenters poisoned for knowing less. Okay. This next one is called The Lovecraft. Howard Phillips Lovecraft must have wondered what his white supremacy did for him, for his pappy, for his mammy, for his maiden aunts, for his soiled pants. Howard Phillips Lovecraft must have looked in the mirror and felt as affirmed in his art as his favored fellow brown-eyed Aryan. Beg the question, learn the lesson. Sonia Half-Green Lovecraft Davis most certainly pondered, frowned upon his pallid face with pity, questioned why he clung to the taunting of the city. What do you need, Howie? Another wild screed, Howie? And if we breed, Howie? Sure of your creed, Howie? This next one is called The Money Monster, and it was previously published in Arato Magazine. The Money Monster is back again, rasping against my ear, stoking up my fear, bids me disappear. The Money Monster clings to me, breathing down my nape, 
bending out of shape, taunts me, no escape. I buried it with spade and hope. It found me decked with blade and rope, a reach which gropes beyond the scope of mere mortal's resistance. I am offered no assistance. The money monster has its way with bones of one who could not pay. Okay, I believe that was four. All right. Thank you. Chris Gordon, what do you think your work conveys about the human condition? I think that my work in particular Mm -hmm. taps into things that a lot of people are afraid to say. Okay. Okay. Um, not mm-hmm. because they aren't true, but because of the dangers associated with them, because they are, for now, unpopular. And okay. I think of a lot of the poems, a lot of the, the artists that came out of the Black Arts Movement, um, mm-hmm. and how they were controversial at the time, and how they were considered radicals and and a lot of those folks who had like affiliation with the Black Panther Party, how they were looked at. And um, I think that there is, and maybe this comes down to just my, my lack of um, having been able to read a lot of the people who are who are out there doing the same kind of work in literature, mm-hmm. but I do think that that mm-hmm. is a um, a piece that is missing sort of on the main stage of poetry. I mean, I think of okay. poems like The Hill We Climb, because I, I love Amanda Gorman, and, and yes. she is she is one of the biggest inspirations to me right now, um, that mm-hmm. beautiful young sister. But I think of how um, poems like that are, the, are the, the, the poems that are promoted and sanctioned as the representative and I, I, I think about how there's another side of that um, yes. where, you know, the, the, the hill that we climb is filled with a lot more minefields. <laughs> and, and, you got that right. And then a poem like that. Um, mm-hmm. Is, would be able to touch on in the, the, the form in which it was used. And mm-hmm. so I just offer a voice, I think, um, for calling out and really validating the hurt and mm-hmm. the, the anger that a lot of people have for the things that remain un, unsaid on the main stage the poems that will never yes. be read on the White House steps. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I know that's, that's not 
a um a a a maybe necessarily a a bestseller kind of stance to take as a poet. All right. And, and mm-hmm. and if you're if you're in it for money, I mean, what are you doing anyway? But I do think right. that that is a um, a people poetry, and um, you know, if, if these poems get shared as screenshots, and mm-hmm. I barely make money off this book <laughs> ever. Um, just knowing that it contains, you know, uh, something that the the people resonate with, that is okay. Really okay. So, who is your target audience? Are you hoping to reach a, a wide range of readers, or are you looking to to find a particular group? I hope to reach a wide range of readers, but I hope to represent mm-hmm. um, a group of of people who have been gaslit about the things that they find important. And, you know, that is not a small group of people. Um, I definitely, mm-hmm. I write for people who are crushed under the weight of um, mm-hmm. the status quo and I definitely, I write for people who are struggling between, you know, their identity being so tied to being crushed under that weight and mm-hmm. all the things they have done, quote unquote, right to try and get out from under it. And yes. the guilt that's associated with that, you know, right, wrong, or, or, or both or neither. And... Um, mm-hmm. You know, people who are just trying to be honest about what it looks like to get themselves free under a system yes. where a lot of the time we are strategically rigged so that our freedom, pulling ourselves up, means sinking somebody else below. Mm. Um, wow. So that's, that's I, I think that's probably the biggest lens that informs wow just the stage of poetry, especially with the, 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 the capitalism critique work and stuff. And that's not all this book is. It's just been a, a big, mm-hmm. big issue in my life. Um, and I know generationally, right. I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're not just, alone. No, you're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> Would you be willing to favor us with one more before we go? Absolutely. Pretty please. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) This one is called The Way It Is. You can't afford to fix your teeth, but that's the way it is. Your best friend's buried down beneath, but that's the way it is. She couldn't take the pain inside, hardly could buy the pills prescribed. The college board cast her aside, but that's the way it is. You can't afford to pay your debt, but that's the way it is. Ran out of blood and tears and sweat, but that's the way it is. Ain't got the car to get the gig. The TV says you're too damn big. You're skipping meals, still you're the pig, and that's the way it is. You should have got an army stamp to change the way it is. 
Never mind the vagabond and tramp enlisted when there's kids. A cup of limbs for Uncle Sam, a cup of beans straight from the can. But you can't get mad at the man. That's just the way it is. I know this tower's got to fall. I know the way it is. We're bringing down the fucking wall. It's blowing off the lid. Crystallize the last few hundred years. Vampirize the basis of our fears. Reparations owed in the arrears. Holding fast to how it is. When your father is a capitalist, don't you wish he kept his jizz? Thank you. Wow. Through writing slam poems, what have you learned about yourself? Chris wow, I've learned that there are a lot of voices. <laughs> and that is something that is that is that is something that gets quite literally demonized and um mm-hmm. you know pathologized but there are a lot of voices yes. within one voice it's like any given yes. any given voice is a choir of different voices and mm-hmm. i think that accepting that is healing and it normalizes and rehumanizes um, parts of the human condition that I think were kind of systemically removed for, you know, the benefit of of the powers that be. But um, learning to be okay, just hearing the different voices that I have to express even when mm-hmm. I read one poem one way, read a poem another way, you know, in our head, especially as as black people, there's the question of code switching and all of that. Yes, of course. Yes. And it's 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 something that can drive you up the wall and make you okay. wonder. It can make you wonder if you are a lie of a person if you don't hold mm-hmm. space for why that exists. And yes. it's just, it's, it's something that, uh, again, is being healed, I think, as I hear, as I read my words back and I read them back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that. Oh, yes. We're not done. <laughs> <laughs> We're not done. <laughs> I would like to know. Do you think you were meant to be a poet based on what you know about the world and your lived experience? Do you think you were meant to be a poet? I absolutely do. Okay. I absolutely I absolutely believe that. I, I I know I was meant to be a lot of things, but a poet is one of them. What surprises you most about being a poet? Let's see. The thing that was the most surprising honestly is that Mm -hmm. and this is is just so this is the beauty of this community um which Mm. i know is not a monolith but the beauty of what i found in this community is the more that i try and like qualify my inexperience and the more that i express that i am insecure the more love and acceptance i find and 
you know, the more friends I make. And that Mm -hmm. is just, it is the sign that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, as somebody who I've, I've, I've been a writer my whole life, the first story that I remember writing, um, you know, sitting, sitting down and, and writing to completion in a way that I loved was in a third, like third grade class. I was eight years old and yes. I've been writing ever since. Um, mm-hmm. But I think wow. having, having rooted my identity in I'm a screenwriter for so long since mm-hmm. I was 19, mm-hmm. you know, 18, 19, wow. starting in college. Mm-hmm. I'm a screenwriter mm-hmm. was what my artistic identity was rooted in. And yes. that has been, even though I'm not leaving the film industry, um, mm-hmm. that has been sort of just, so maddening <laughs> what it takes mm. to hold on to that identity. So I think rooting myself in I'm a writer, I'm a poet, I'm an artist, period. <laughs> I All think right. that, All that, right. that is, that is where, what I need to, to do to feel free. Where do you go from here, Chris Courtney? What's next for you creatively? You've got wow. the book coming out yes. later this week. <laughs> And your birthday is coming up. <laughs> yeah. Where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? <laughs> so, so creatively, I mean, I have some more music to release um, at the the top of next year or end of this year. I haven't decided. Um, mm-hmm. It was going to be another EP. It's going to be just another, just a, an instrumental album. Um, yes. The first EP is technically an, a micro album because it's more than six songs but I'm doing I'm going for like 12 or 15 songs for this next release so I'm wrapping that mm-hmm. up and um you know with the Hollywood strikes one half of them is still going on um mm-hmm. the the writer side of it has opened back up but you know when we are back full-fledged I um I, I want to continue building some projects that I was was working on up until the point where the strikes were called and I'm actually mm-hmm. uh, so glad you you, you asked this because I'm directing my first documentary oh. feature, um, and we're entering. Oh. <laughs> yes, we're entering. Um, and the way that happened was just so wild and serendipitous. But we're entering production. Um, it's going to be a lot of just remote interview footage and it's a it's a american australian co-production with the beautiful (laughs) dr kylie p harris who is a brilliant wonderful friend of mine and Mm -hmm. um you know it what this does is it it takes a lot of indigenous and non-western sort of estimations of spiritual emergence which can sometimes be or oftentimes be pathologized in the west and yes. um it, it it privileges voices who understand the greater global context around that so i'm so excited to be able to talk to you um indigenous scholars and healers and elders and and people who are um well-versed and and, and other philosophies outside of, you know, the medical industrial complex to make sense of what people consider mania to be. Yes. 
So uh, we stand on the shoulders. <laughs> you can stop right. Great. You can stop right there. You. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You bring so much to the table. <laughs> the table is full. The table is full. <laughs> we don't need another dish <laughs> on the table. <laughs> you brought everything. <laughs> well, I you, are, <laughs> you are top notch. I am so proud of you. And all Thank two, we you. only have like 60 seconds. <laughs> but <laughs> 30 now. I wish you nothing but continued success. You're incredible. Thank you, Thank you so, so much. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> Look at all the stuff you're talking about. <laughs> we need another 30 minutes <laughs> for you to finish. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. You got it going on. <laughs> Thank you. And that wow. means that means so much. What is true? <laughs> I had to stop you. <laughs> you had so many projects. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I plan to follow your career. I really do. <laughs> Where can we purchase the book? So <laughs> slam the, poems. Yeah. For my bathroom so mirror. Okay. Slam poems from my bathroom mirror will be available via Alien Buddha Press. Right now they print through mm-hmm. Amazon, which I is I know, anti capitalist printing. Through right. Amazon, I know, it, no ethical consumption, but I am working <laughs> really, really, really hard um, to try and uh, figure out just a, a, a model that's going to get the stuff out there and also, yes. you know, um, <laughs> move away from, from the machine. But Alien Buddha, they're, they're, the, they're the, the best guys in the, the indie publishing world. They're wonderful. Red, the, oh, wow. the, the press owner, is just a wonderful guy who's given a platform to so many wonderful voices. I mean, that the roster of writers is just top-notch. Um, <laughs> just top-notch. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised that you're among them. <laughs> really not. <Wow. laughs> Your poetry is well-crafted and it's timely, and we need to hear it. You're right. Thank we need to hear you. both sides. There's the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifference, and you can't, you can't deny that it's all there. Yeah. You know? You can't. Well, all right. I am so glad that I had the opportunity to, <laughs> to talk with you. <laughs> you are amazing. You made my day. You made my night. Thank you. It has been fantastic getting to talk to you, and I would love to stay in touch, for sure. Yes, yes. I'd like you to come back in um, 2024, and we could think of another program, okay? Yes, please, please. I just yes. say when. Okay. Well, I'd like you to think of an idea that you'd like to talk about, because you'll take the lead. You'll be the professor that night. You'll be the person taking the lead. So whatever it is you want to talk about, 
whether it's poetry, pro, I don't care what it is. You're welcome back here. Okay, maybe I'll have a little bit more to to share about you know the the yes. film side of things, and maybe the, yes, the, the marriage it. between that and, and and poetry. Oh wow! See, <laughs> I don't want to let you go, but <laughs> we need to go. <laughs> we need to go. <laughs> don't be run out of time. <laughs> so I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to thank the listening audience for tuning in, as you do every time we're together. And as I share with you, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Chris Courtney Martin, take care. Good night. All right. Good night. <laughs> Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.